0: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Praise Team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had thus far this morning. He is truly risen, and He is risen indeed. And as we have done, and it has really been our prayer for the past several weeks, that uh, everything that we would do, particularly on this day, but really every day, would be about beholding Jesus. Uh, We've been in the process of walking through a series in the Gospel of John talking about the crucifixion and the burial and now the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything that we're doing is focusing our attention on Jesus, on who He is and what He has done. And behold, today, as we behold Jesus, behold, He is risen. But I wonder as we're here this Easter Sunday morning, what has captured your attention today? Maybe as we gather here together and as we look around, we see a lot more pastel colors than we're used to, right? Maybe you saw things littered around your house. Maybe you saw that interesting little Easter grass or some interesting uh, marshmallow crusted candy in the shape of a duck or something uh, laid out all over your house. There's all sorts of things that capture our attention. As we've made connections and talked with one another here today, there are different things, different aspects uh, of interaction where we have had our attention captured. But here we are, under the banner of beholding Jesus, worshiping Him together. Has He captured your attention? Has He captured your affection? Has He captured your trust? Grab your copy of God's Word here today. And if you would, turn with me to the Gospel of John. We're in John chapter 20. We're going to be working verses 1 through 10. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. And as you're turning there, it's always helpful to be reminded of where we've been as we've worked up to this point in beholding Jesus is risen. (laughs) that we've talked about Jesus dying on the cross for our sin, that Jesus bore the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin and laid down His life. He said, it is finished, fully accomplished, done. And He gave up His life. He who is the Son of God has accomplished His mission Joseph and Nicodemus have taken him down off of the cross, have laid him in a tomb, have wrapped his body, and as the women watched from a distance, they saw where his body was laid. And so here it is, we come to John chapter 20 with a great sense of anticipation in our hearts. And read with me, if you will, John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away The disciples went back to their homes. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we have come to celebrate our living Lord. Jesus lives. That the whole basis of even us accessing you right now is on the basis of the fact that Jesus lives. Father, we ask right now by your Spirit and for your glory... May all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our devotion be fixed upon Jesus today. Stir in our hearts by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look here at verse 1 and really as we follow in the pattern of thinking through Easter and that wonderful Easter morning, it says, now on the first day of the week. So here we are. Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Here it is. She comes early in the morning. She's arriving. She, we know from the other gospel accounts, coming in the wee hours, they had assumed that they would be alone, that they would be the first ones to arrive, and yet when they come, they see the stone rolled away. They feel that they have walked into something where someone has been already. Already. That Mary Magdalene at that time when they first arrived was accompanied with Salome and another Mary. And at, at this point Mary Magdalene turns around and starts to dart off to go and catch up with Peter and John. The others, The other women stay and have an interaction with the angels and then eventually with Jesus himself. You can read that in Matthew chapter 28. And it's like we see this and even from the outset on the first day of the week and as she comes to the tomb early and it's still dark and the stone's been rolled away. It's like there's so many details right here buried in the text. There's so much going on. There's so much in this moment. And there's so many different experiences on that first Easter morning, especially as it begins. And it all starts with the same question. Where is Jesus? Where is he? She sees the stone rolled away. Where is he? Amid all the things that have captured our attention here this morning, and amid all the things that we've been focused on, amid all the details of trying to get family pictures together while we're all dressed up, where's Jesus? Because the fact is, we have gathered under the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that He lives, and yet we have come with real hurts today. Real fears, real problems, real issues that need a real hope. Maybe you've come here just loaded down with real questions. Where is Jesus? Dare I say he's nearer than you might think? Dare I say he's using all the circumstances here in this text to reveal himself, leading us to have life in his name? At the very least, it's worth asking the question, isn't it? Behold, look. Where is he? And so in verse 2, it says So she ran, Mary ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So her response is, She runs. She needs an answer. Who would know? Well, Peter and John might know, and so she darts off to go and find them. And it feels like that in the passage as she makes her way from the empty tomb to go and find Peter and John that she is processing in her mind that she is going to break what she feels like she knows is bad news. She's assumed the worst. Now, we can relate to that, can't we? Because a lot of times we look at the circumstances, we look at the situation, we assume the worst, and then we start to express our ideas about assuming the worst to those who are around us. We can relate exceptionally so with Mary Magdalene here. And here she is running, and what an accurate picture of how so many people live their lives running around to and fro looking for answers. And you find yourself just weary, worried, wondering, where is Jesus? So she finally makes her way to Peter And to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, who we know, of course, is the Apostle John, as has been repeatedly stated in this way throughout the Gospel of John. And she simply says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. It's the proverbial they. We're familiar with that group, too. We look at when something happens in our lives we say who did this and we hear somebody say they did it. Maybe you've heard your children say that before. They're like they, they who? They seem to be a problem everywhere. It's just nondescript bunch of people. Somebody must have taken him because he's not there. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. Nowhere on her radar was this good news. The earliest skeptics of the resurrection were actually the disciples of Jesus. There's no way this is possible. And in her mind, she's also thinking, after all, grave robbing was not uncommon. There were all sorts of first century laws that you can track back and you can look up. It was a problem because they would go in there, they would rob the grave, they would take the linens because they were valuable, they would take the spices because they were valuable, any treasures that were buried in the tomb along with them, they would take all of those. It was not uncommon for that to happen. Someone's taken him. Here she is assuming he's been taken and he's missing. This is how we approach many things in life. We wonder where the remote is and say, it's been taken and it's missing. Where's my hammer? Someone took it because it's not in the place where I thought it was. But interestingly enough, even as we say it that way, we are reminded. Sometimes our assumptions are wrong, aren't they? And if you don't believe me, just ask anybody who shares a home with you. Maybe you were wrong about this. Maybe the assumptions were all wrong. Maybe finding nothing isn't always bad news. Because when you go to the doctor and they do the scans and the doctor comes in there and says, we found nothing. That's good news, isn't it? When you go to the dentist and they're looking for cavities and they say, there are no cavities in your mouth, you're like, whew. That's good news. Maybe you ran your credit report, Right? And you're looking at that thing and you're like, oh, this is going to be bad. And you finally get it and you're like, hey, there's nothing on there to report. That's good news. Could it be that we're looking at good news here? That Easter morning finds Mary afraid and full of questions. And maybe Easter morning here finds you afraid and full of questions. And you're thinking, the resurrection, resurrection from the dead, really? That death doesn't have the final say? That there's hope beyond death? That life is given to those who believe? Where is Jesus? Maybe you're living your life running to and fro looking for answers. Could it be that there's real hope? Could it be that there's peace that passes all understanding that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? Could it be that there's love that's stronger than death? Could it be that there's real redemption for a real broken life and real forgiveness? Was he missing? Or was he making himself known? Perhaps he's meeting frantic hearts with faithful hope. So as we ask the question, where is Jesus? Keep reading. We'll find an answer. Because in verse 3, all of a sudden it says, So Peter went out and the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So here it is running in one direction. Mary Magdalene goes this way. She has this short conversation with Peter and John. They turn around and start running the other way. So they're running with a question, but they're running toward the answer. And you've got to think as they're running towards this empty tomb, they're thinking of their last interaction with Jesus. And Peter, thinking about his last interaction being his three times denial of Jesus, of making eye contact with him. And then the rooster crows and he walks away with tears in his eyes, knowing how he has failed. you got to think of the Apostle John who is right there at the cross with Jesus' mother, hearing Jesus look at John and say, behold your mother, take care of her. And so he has spent the past couple of days trying to manage his own grief and Mary's grief as well. They both knew exactly where to go. And here they are running together, and we're told both of them are running. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. got to imagine they made it out the door, and they were keeping pace together here pretty well. But pretty soon, Peter's age and John's youth showed up. Peter starts to huff and puff and fall a little further behind. While John is hearing the song of chariots of fire playing in the back of his head. crosses the finish line with a smile on his face where's jesus let's find out because in verse 5 it says stooping to look in here's the apostle john he saw the linen cloths lying there but he didn't go in so john leans in and it's like the gentle light of morning and he sees the linens and so he's standing outside thinking through all of these things You see, interestingly enough, this is where a lot of people remain as it relates to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just sort of standing on the outside looking in and being like, oh, there's there's some evidence of something in there. But it's like you never take the time to step in there and think it through. You're standing on the outside waiting for an answer. Could he be alive? Would it really matter? He who said, I am the resurrection and the life, could it be that he's really alive? But here's John standing on the outside and Peter finally Huffs it on up there, catches up and makes it. And just like his personality, he comes charging in. He walks right into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloths. And it's like we start to see that the grave clothes themselves are telling a bit of a story. Because no grave robber would have left those things behind. They would have left the body and taken the linens. They were worth something. Certainly the spices were worth something. They would not have left all of that behind. And then the face cloth. Well, look, it says it was the, that which was on Jesus' head was not lying with the linen cloths, but it was folded up in a place by itself. No one's going to steal a body and then fold the clothes. And it's like we're getting all these little personal touches of indications of life, like folded laundry. He's alive. Someone folded this. And some of y'all are wondering, is there anybody alive in my house? (laughs) Here he is, Jesus. All this evidence. And still more as you behold the grave clothes and you start to think this through and you think of Peter processing all of this. There's more going on because Jesus said He would die in our place, that He was the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. He's the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. And thinking they're processing that the reason the Son of God has grave clothes is because of my sin and your sin, and that Peter is pondering the weight of his own denial. He had promised to follow Jesus at any cost and had failed miserably and here we are full of pride self-centeredness idolatry covetousness disobedience it's like we're looking down at the grave clothes and you can see your own name on the tag but it's his blood that stains them and by his stripes we've been healed. What a Savior. Taking this all in. What else could this mean? And it's like the, the, the Holy Spirit is stirring in their hearts and th- the mind is churning. And this would not be Peter and John's first interaction with resurrection. Resurrection. Peter and John were among a select group of people who were invited as Jairus' daughter was healed in Mark chapter 5. Peter and John would have be, been there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he walked out of the grave. But here, the resurrection of Jesus looks altogether different. There's no one wrapping his body. He is raised in immortality in his own indestructible life. He is raised. Not mortal to die again, but immortal, victorious. The life giver lives. And it's like we're standing here looking in the tomb, and it's like the Holy Spirit is looking at us. What do you see? As you look at those grave clothes, as you look at, at, at this under the cover of this morning light, what is it that you're looking at? because so many of us have approached Easter and the resurrection just processing it and pretending like school children when the teacher says, do you see what I'm talking about? And we're like, oh, yeah, I see what you're talking about. like when you go to a museum and there's somebody who's trying to explain something, like, do you understand? It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, sure, huh? May the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. Do you know what you're looking at here? Jesus lives. Sin has been dealt with. Your sin, salvation, and forgiveness are offered to all who repent and believe. Hope lives. And it's like step by step with such gentle, patient kindness, Jesus himself is leading Peter, leading John, leading Mary, leading all of us to see behold, Jesus lives. What's left to do? Well, how are we supposed to respond to this? Well, look at verse 8. It says, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. John gives Peter a minute. Before long, it's like, I'm going in there. He walks in there, and he saw the evidence. God opened his eyes, and it's like the pieces of the puzzle finally coming together, and now you see. The truth has become clear. The resurrection of Jesus is not an allegory. It's not a symbol. It's actual, and it's real. That the corpse in the grave became the comforter in the garden. That's our Jesus. Do you see him? Do you believe Maybe you hear that and you say, well, John saw and believed, but here we are not walking into the empty tomb right now, and that's true. Are there other ways of seeing? Yes, there are. Maybe you read read a good book or something, and it's like you, you read it, you wouldn't go there. Maybe you read, I don't know, Charles Dickens. You're like, that's an amazing testimony of the things that took place. It's as though I could see it. Do you see? Yes, you do. Were you there? No, you weren't. Is this how God works here? That he would open our eyes to see the light of the gospel, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That we would see and believe that Jesus lives. And that we'd see the significance of the resurrection. That Jesus is the Son of God. His identity has been confirmed, that Jesus' righteousness has been vindicated. The sinless Son of God, the sacrifice of Him upon the cross for our sin has been received so that the Father is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus because sin has been punished upon Christ in our place. Jesus is victorious over sin, over death, over hell. That when he said it is finished, it is done. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That there is new life in Christ as he promised. That he who is the resurrection and the life, anyone who believes in him, though they die, yet shall they live. That's our Jesus. He gives life. Born again life. A life full of love and joy and peace and hope where he takes what is broken in our lives and redeems it and takes where we were once broken in our relationship to the Heavenly Father and reconciles us to himself. Jesus lives. See the significance. But even more than that, see and believe the necessity because even the Apostle John admits here for us, yet they did not understand the Scripture that He must rise from the dead. Scripture shows that Jesus must rise from the dead. At the very least, Jesus predicted this over and over and over and over again. he's fulfilling his own word. But it's also helpful for us to think about Scripture, that Scripture, as we read it, is not just this disconnected box of stories that are all just thrown together. It's actually telling one grand narrative of the wonder of God's salvation, that he saves his people from their sin. There's hope, and that Scripture points repeatedly to resurrection. You could think of Psalm 2 or Psalm 16 or Psalm 24 or Psalm 68, Psalm 110, passages of scripture that New Testament writers refer to in their preaching and in their teaching repeatedly that the Father would not let the Son see corruption. You can think of 2 Samuel chapter 7 of an eternal king that reigns on an eternal throne, or Job 19, that we have a living redeemer, or Isaiah 53, and speaking of the one who is the suffering servant who, by whose stripes we are healed is the one whose days are prolonged. You can find indications pointing to the resurrection in Hosea chapter 13 and thinking of redemption from death, or even as Jesus talked about it and used it as an illustration, in Jonah, three days and In the belly and three days in the grave, only to rise again. You can think of Daniel chapter 7 in the Ancient of Days, who has everlasting dominion, or you can think of the shepherd and king in Ezekiel chapter 34 and 37, the shepherd king whose victory lasts forever. See, the problem is not a lack of evidence here. Do you see it? Do you believe? Do you believe the necessity that he must rise from the dead? Peter preached it in Acts chapter 2. John made reference to it in such a grand way in Revelation chapter 1. Fear not. This is Jesus speaking. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The only hope of life is Jesus. But what a hope it is. The only hope of life is faith in Jesus Christ that He freely offers. It's like a gift. It's just like the pa- it is the passage that Tim made reference to earlier. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Won't you receive this gracious gift? Won't you behold? Jesus lives and believe that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. That the lamb who was slain is the shepherd who is alive and he is victorious where we have all failed. That the Lord is the life giver who forgives and cleanses and transforms to this very day. Do you believe? Do you believe that he's mighty over your sin? That he's conquered your death. That he endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against your sin. That you would, when you repent and believe, you would be covered in his righteousness and forgiven and set free in him. He is our hope. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because we know who holds the future. And life is worth the living. Just because he lives Behold, believe. Now what? Well, we're told in verse 10 then the disciples went back to their homes. Peter goes back, and he's got a wife and a family. John goes back, he's got two mamas to care for. Jesus lives. Jesus is risen. There's nothing left to investigate. Now it's time to go home and live. Behold, believe, and take the truth of the resurrection home with you. Because when something really matters to you, you take it home. Home is where significance is on display. Home is where you find out what really matters to you. And home is also the place with the deepest joys and the deepest hurts. And home is also usually the place where your sin is most evident. And there's no hiding it. We need hope, don't we? We need life, we need forgiveness. We need to know that the living Lord who transforms our lives is also the one who can breathe life into a marriage that's broken. That the living Lord is the one who transforms and gives life and can rescue that prodigal child. That the living Lord is the one who sustains us and gives us encouragement and strength to face the difficulty of the days that you're walking in right now. Where is he? He's risen. Hope lives and he's at work. In the midst of grief and loss, there's hope and redemption because we have a living Lord and a living Savior. So take hope home with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Take forgiveness and take grace and take love and take peace home with you. Look at your life. Behold Jesus and trust in him. That Jesus lives, Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and it's time to go home with that. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're right, preacher. It is time to go home. That's true. You got to roast in the oven. I I don't want to let it burn. The question now is, How will you go home? Because we can can make a big old scene, and we should. It's a big deal. Jesus is alive. We can pray these grand prayers, and we can sing these grand songs, and we can have these grand sermons, and we can say all these grand things. But it's not going to matter a lick if you don't take it home with you. Do you trust in Jesus? that he died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead. That when you look at the grave clothes in there that you see your name on the tag, you realize that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God so much so that the Son of God had to come in the flesh, live in perfect righteousness, be tempted in every way as you are and yet be without sin, go to the cross, die in your place, lay down his life, be buried in the grave only three days later to rise in victory. Is your hope in him? Do you trust in him today? We're going to have an opportunity. We're going to sing a song to the praise and to the glory of our living Savior. You can come forward at the end of the service if you want to. You can wait till everybody leaves and we can just linger around the front and we can meet you there. You can write a note on a piece of paper and hand it to somebody and we will be in touch with you. But don't you leave this place going home without hope. Take hope in Christ, home with you. And however the Spirit leads and convicts and guides you, respond to him today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. God, you see our need. You see our hearts. You see our homes. And you know we need hope. Father, for any person here within the sound of my voice who has never known Jesus as Savior and Lord, we pray that in this moment you would bring the weight of conviction, an understanding of sin, of the awfulness of it, that it took the Son of God dying in our place to save us. And in that moment of conviction, Stir our hearts for hope that we don't have to do it ourselves. We don't have to fix it ourselves because we can't. We can't undo what we've done, but we can trust in the forgiveness and hope and life that's found in Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we behold the empty tomb, lift our eyes to see the risen Savior. Stir our hearts to worship you in spirit and in truth now as we respond to Jesus, our living Lord, who gives living hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.